You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. It was a great weekend for Mets baseball as they swept the Oakland Athletics, and we finally got the news that Brett Beatty will be promoted to the big league club. The first segment today... We'll break down the sweep second segment. I want to discuss a little bit about what we saw from Carlos Carrasco and Jose Budo this weekend and really how that back end of the rotation will figure itself out. Then we're going to preview the series against the Dodgers, which will include Brett Beatty. I'll discuss the Mets finally promoting him and how they will get him on the active roster. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. It was an amazing weekend for this Mets team. You start things off with a blowout victory, then a couple of close ones, but the sweep was complete regardless of how the Mets get there. The news of Brett Beatty on Sunday brought a smile to a lot of Mets fans' faces. And now you have a couple of uh, more exciting series on the West Coast to watch this week as the Dodgers and the Giants present a very interesting slate. So this is going to be just a really fun week of Mets baseball ahead of us. Before we get into that, though, let's recap what was. We'll discuss Beatty later. I mean, we've been on it. On this show, dating back to the offseason through spring training. So, we all know who Brett Beatty is at this point. We'll get into what he's going to mean to this team in the final segment. But, this is a Mets team that's won four straight. And, I want to begin there. The first game of this series was one of those games that is just one where you sit back and watch on a Friday night. And, there's never really a doubt that the Mets are going to win. You just kind of... Watch them cruise and the A's sort of prove how bad they are as a baseball team. Kodai Senga wasn't even that good. Probably his worst start in a Mets uniform up to this point. But it doesn't matter because in the second inning, he spotted six runs. The A's walk in two batters. Then Francisco Lindor hits a grand slam. Big bang, boom, the Mets are going to win the game. And then they have another six-run rally in the fifth inning where one run came in via a bases loaded hit by pitch, another by a bases loaded walk. So that's, count them up, what, four runs that were just handed to the Mets? And this one, really more than that when you consider all the traffic that was on the bases. And Francisco Lindor clears the bases again, this time didn't drive himself in, but had an RBI double. So seven runs batted in in those two knocks for him and a big, big day for the stat sheet. The Mets scored 17 runs off just 11 hits. They were out hitting the game, actually. The A's had 13 hits. The Mets had 11, but the runs were well in the Mets' favor. 17 walks, a franchise record. Just insane. You credit the Mets for taking those walks, but really, that's a game the A's basically handed to them on a platter. Sanga struck out seven, still looked nasty at times, but did not make it out of the fifth, so that's rough for him. You had an easy win just given to you. 
and you can't make it out, gave up four runs. But regardless, I think we still feel confident in him going to his next start. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens next. I, I'm still in love with this ghost fork, and batters are the opposite of that. They just can't seem square that pitch up, and there's a lot of strikeouts being racked up on the ghost fork, which is quickly becoming one of the best pitches in baseball. Now, Game 2 and Game 3 of this series, Carlos Carrasco, Jose Budo actually held it down. I want to discuss their starts more in the next segment because I'm still trying to grasp what Carrasco is going to be for the Mets this year. And look, the final stat line looks out. Five innings pitched, four hits, one walk, three strikeouts, two and runs. You don't quite see on the, the main box score quickly that he hit two batters and that the control wasn't quite there and didn't really seem like he had swing and miss stuff. But again, we're going to get to all of that later on. For him, it, it was a step in the right direction, right? Now, Carrasco's two runs that he gave up on Saturday came in the second inning. Pete Alonso hit his seventh home run of the season in the top of the fourth, so that cut the deficit in half. Then Mark Hanna ties the game with a solo homer in the seventh. So the offense really was stagnant for a lot of that game. Luckily, they are able to put something together late. Daniel Vogelback and Tim LeCastro, that pairing, had you know one of those moments where it made sense to roster both because Vogelback draws a walk late, LeCastro swipes second, He's the game-winning run. Uh, you actually get a couple of outs after that. Uh, you had Guillaume and Alvarez both get out. Brandon Nimmo comes up with two outs. RBI double. That scores LeCastro. Mets end up needing that as the game-winning run. One thing I'll note about that is we're going to get into a roster crunch later. As much as that stolen base was great, if let's just say you have a similar scenario in a game where Tommy Pham is on your bench instead, Okay, where he didn't start, he's still hanging on there. He could score on a double from Brandon Nemo. So as much as you can say the Mets won that game because of Tim LeCastro, there's still some kind of ambiguity as to how valuable that pinch runner is. And there is a very real chance that LeCastro just spent his last series with the Mets or maybe they'll delay this and kick the can down the road a little bit longer, but... With the roster crunch that's coming, we'll see how much longer he's there to pinch run for the Mets. It's been great to see. He's pretty much a guaranteed stolen base every time, so you love that. It's just a matter of you know, what else you need on this roster, how much you can really afford to keep him based on all the guys that need to be rostered. Now, the Mets bullpen was exceptional on Saturday. Four scoreless innings. Drew Smith got four outs. Brooks Raley got two. Adam Adovino and... David Robertson each pitched an inning to close that game out. Robertson, a great weekend. Two saves to close out this series and get the sweep. That was the first one on Saturday. Sunday, a little bit more of a tough road to get to Robertson. Uh, Took extras. Jose Budo got the start because Max Scherzer was scratched. We're not too concerned at this point. A little bit of back soreness. He's now slated to start the final game of the series against the Dodgers. Uh, you know, he did not really express any concerns about this little bit of soreness. And from a Mets perspective, made sense to to put Budo out there to go to a six-man rotation for a series and, you know, delay Scherzer's next start, have him pitch against a much better team in the Dodgers. And it worked out because they got the win. And again, I'll discuss Budo a little bit more. He certainly looked a lot better in this start than his one start last year. But we'll get to that more in the next segment. Now, Tommy Pham homers in the second inning on Sunday. Francisco Lindor homers in the sixth. 
Uh, after getting two solid innings of relief from Denny Reyes, the Mets were up 2-1. to one. John Curtis comes on in the 8th. And he struggled. He gave up a two-run double, ultimately gave up a hit before that in a walk, and then a double by Shea Langoliers ends up costing the Mets the lead. Curtis gets through the inning, uh, but the Mets were suddenly trailing. You get to the top of the ninth inning, Pete Alonso comes up with one out, and with one swing of the bat, he ties the game. He has been on an absolute tear. Eight home runs right now to lead baseball. He is just hitting every mistake that's thrown at him out of the ballpark. If you give Pete Alonso something he can handle, he's putting it in the seats right now. It's an incredible start to the season. I think he's you know, angling for a remarkable campaign that could be his best yet. 50 home runs, certainly uh, you know, in line for Pete this year. When you start off the year and you maybe have a 10 home run month, like he could be trending towards if you combine, you know, whatever they played in March at the end there and April. Man, I mean, Pete is looking great right now. That was such a clutch homer to extend the game. The Mets really should have scored and gotten that lead in the ninth and just ended it there. But they had to go to extras because even though they drew three walks, Eduardo Escobar with the bases loaded one out hits into an inning-ending double play. So that was pretty devastating for him on the heels, of course, of the baby promotion news. And it shows you why they're calling on the, the kid because if he's up in that spot, you think he's going to at least be able to get a fly ball, get a run across, and the Mets maybe win that in nine instead of in extras. But they still found a way to win and get that sweep. We're going to discuss that in just a minute. Before we do, though, today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Pro Baseball GM, the mobile game. This is where you could be a GM. I've always wanted to, and I now get to see, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this as my team is off to an incredible start to the season on the game. What you can do is manage every strategic aspect of your team. You play through a season, lead your team to glory. You can manage the the coaching hirings, the staff, team finances, scouting and drafting players. Manage those difficult personalities. You can navigate your franchise through free agency and all the ups and downs of a season. All of this in a challenging and realistic game world, Ultimate Baseball GM it's completely free and playable offline. You can play on the go as you want, when you want, once downloaded. You don't even need Wi-Fi to play. It's all there for you in app play. That's why I love it so much because unlike MLB The Show where I can only play it at home on the couch as a council, this can go on the go with me. Whenever I want to make some trades or have some fun building out my own team, I can go on Pro Baseball GM. Locked on Mets listeners are going to get 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code locked on in the game store. So make sure to check it out. To download the game, just visit probaseballgm.com. Scan the code if you're watching on YouTube and look it up on the app stores. That's probaseballgm.com. Check out Ultimate Baseball GM. Start your dynasty today. Now, the Mets still had to get to extra innings after Pete Alonso tied it in the top of the ninth, and it was dicey in the bottom half. You go to Jimmy Iacobonis. That just tells you where the Mets are. When you are the road team, you got to save your closer, and you don't want to burn Adam Montevino and David Robertson before you go into a series with the Dodgers. So, 
You send out Jimmy Yacobonis and you pray he gets through it. And luckily for the Mets, he did. Ran into some trouble early. You know, walked a batter, gave up a hit. So he had runners on first and second. But Brandon Nemo made one of two incredible plays he made in this game. Made a diving catch earlier for Jose Budo. Then makes a diving catch, which probably wasn't as nice as the first one. The first one, Nemo ran a long way and dove and caught it on the warning track. The second one, though, was higher stakes. Two runners on. Ninth inning, makes that diving catch. Jacobonis did have a strikeout, uh, and then you know he got the big strikeout first, then the diving catch, then pop out, gets through the gym. So the Mets have a chance again, top 10. You know They, they had Eduardo Escobar on second base as the ghost runner. He gets moved over to third from Francisco Alvarez. Fly ball to right field, situational hitting. Got to give the kid credit. He's been struggling with the bat. That was a big moment for him, but the Mets... Kind of struggle beyond that. They get to two outs. Marte gets on, uh, you know, from a walk. He steals. Bottom line, the Mets are able to score on a wild pitch, which also walked Francisco Lindor. That was the one run they needed. The the ghost runner came in. So you hand the ball off to your closer. David Robertson hits the first batter of the inning, which is interesting because that is the first free pass he's given up all season. No walk still for David Robertson. Gotta love that from your closer. Uh, so different than Mets closers of the past. Whether it be in Edwin Diaz when he's not at his best. And last year he was always at his best. But we've seen in the times walks could happen. Whether it was Jury's Familia like every single season. Even when he was awesome there was always some walks mixed in. I guess 2015 Familia was a different beast. We always forget how good he was that year. But you know, name your Mets closer. Armando Benitez. Uh, I, I can't tell you for sure. Uh, because I don't remember John Franco enough. I hate to say it. Born in 95. Of course, I know John Franco. One of the best ever for the Mets. But to tell you off the top of my head what his walks per nine won his career, I, I couldn't. But I, I do remember K-Rod very vividly. Or you know, Looper. A lot of different closers the Mets have had. Um, you know, Keeping the, the, the ball in the strike zone can sometimes be... An issue, and it's not for Robertson. So that's been incredible to see. But in this instance, he did hit a batter. Um, then, though, made an incredible play, fielding a bunt to get the runner at third base. I mean, it wasn't, I guess, the toughest play in the world, but just just shows you how good he is fielding his position. He just doesn't make mistakes out there. He's, uh, you know, as he's like a, a veteran quarterback that that just has been playing the position forever and. You know, he might not, you know, wow you by throwing the ball downfield or, in this case, throwing the ball 100, but he's going to make the right decisions and put you in a position to win a lot of games. Did that for the Mets, gets a couple ground balls to get out of that inning. Eight and a third for him so far this season without allowing a run. Four hits allowed. As I said, no walks, the one hit batsman. Uh, his ERA is still zero. Uh, I believe his whip was 0.48 at this point which is insane because, again, four hits, eight and a third, less than half of a runner per inning. So he's off to a great start. But as I mentioned already, we want to discuss starting pitching in this segment. Carlos Carrasco, Jose Budo. Now, I do not believe that Carlos Carrasco has lost his spot in the rotation. He was good last year. As much as there was times where he had blow-up starts, more than not, he was good. And I'm not saying that Carlos Carrasco is done based on three starts this season, especially off of one that was relatively good. Here's what I will say. 
If that start went a little bit differently, people look at it completely through a different lens. A lot of times we play the results. So the result is two earned runs, five innings. Great start from Carrasco. Here's what I saw. I saw a guy that was still wild. I saw a guy that wasn't missing bats. I saw a guy that hit two batters on sliders that didn't break. And I saw an inning where Carlos Carrasco in the bottom of the fourth gets up a one-out double. Uh, He then hits a batter, one of those sliders, walks a batter. Maybe it was walk a batter, hit a batter. Regardless, two free passes, load the bases, and suddenly with two outs, you're just praying the blow-up inning doesn't happen. And Tony Kemp lines one into the left field corner. Luckily, Mark Canna played in Oakland for years, got a great jump on the ball, makes the catch look easy. But if that ball... It's a little more in the corner. If Tommy Pham is playing left that day instead of Mark Canna and doesn't get the same jump and that ball gets down and the base is clear, suddenly you say, oh my God, Carrasco's horrible, gave up five runs. So it's not to completely take away what he did. But again, I do not look at that start and say, oh, Carrasco just answered everything for me. Here's some other things that concern me. Looking at some of the stats from this start. Average exit velocity against Carlos Carrasco in this game, 90 miles per hour. Now, for context, Kodai Senga in this series, average exit velocity against him, 80.8. Look at Jose Budo on Sunday, average exit velocity against, 86.4. They hit Carrasco harder than any other starter in this series. Go to whiff percentage, right? How many times do they swing and miss? Only 16% of the time did an A's batter swing the bat and not connect. Kodai Senga, that was 26% whiff rate. Budo, 26% whiff rate in this series. Go to zone percentage. How often was Carrasco filling up the zone? 39% of the time. Now, Budo, same thing, 39% of the time. Kodai Senga, 51% of the time. So it shows you the command of the strike zone and the fact that Carrasco is nibbling and he's struggling to, to pound the zone, which is what he does when he's at his best. Now, Yes, he only walked one batter, but he hit two. So you look at Budo's four walks, compare it to three free passes from Carrasco. How much better do you consider him? If you even do consider him better, Budo only gave up one. And I did think at times we saw something nice from him. I mean, overall, Budo's best pitch is his changeup, and he didn't really have it in this one. So just imagine what he could be if that changeup was more on. I mean, he was really missing the zone a lot with that changeup and wasn't getting the same whiff she would want because a lot of those pitches weren't competitive. Still, Jose Budo sits 95. I think the velocity is going to be there, of course, more for him than Carrasco. And, you know, I I liked his fastball. I liked the way he was commanding the zone with it. I liked the ground balls he was getting. Uh, You know, the cutter looked pretty good. So I I think Jose Budo is a pitcher to watch. I'm not going to say he's going to take Carrasco's job. And really, I'm more looking at Justin Verlander's return and saying, how can you justify keeping Carrasco in this rotation over Tyler McGill right now? That's really the conversation. It's not this Budo bump him. But I liked what I saw from a pitcher in Jose Budo that was making a spot start. I'm looking forward to seeing more. I think he can come up and can serve a role for the Mets throughout this season. And from Carrasco's perspective, I thought it was a step in the right direction because the results were there. But I'm not any more confident than I was before this start that he is going to be able to hold on to this spot in the rotation. It's more McGill versus Carrasco, and we got to see when Verlander comes back where the Mets decide to go. It might be six-man rotation for a while, and that's okay too. But the way Tyler McGill has thrown the ball up to this point, 
I cannot say that I think Carrasco is a better pitcher than Tyler McGill right now. So we'll just see how that progresses. But I have buried the lead a little bit because I have been screaming for the promotion of Brett Beatty for some time. We finally are getting it. He will be with the Mets. I want to discuss that at length in just a minute. Before we do, though, our new sponsor, So Rare, is a revolutionary fantasy baseball game and marketplace transforming fans into owners with officially licensed digital cards featuring players from across all 30 teams. Unlike other fantasy platforms, So Rare managers truly own their fantasy experience, collecting, buying, selling, and competing with player cards against global opponents to win epic rewards. Win or lose, you still own your cards and there's no cost to play. Plus, the more you win, the more you advance, collecting increasingly powerful cards and accessing next-level competitions and rewards. So rare Emily managers who rank at the top or near the top of their leaderboards will win a variety of rewards, including VIP experiences like meeting MLB stars. Prizes may vary depending on the competition. Head to SoRare.com. Slash locked on that's spelled S O R A R E dot com slash locked on to draft your team of free player cards, set your lineup, and start competing today to win epic rewards. Again, that's so rare.com slash locked on to start playing today. So Brett Beatty is finally with the big league club. The Mets have come to their senses. They basically are admitting they were wrong for not including him on the MLB roster. He was too good to deny. Batted 409 games in triple, 500 on base, 886 slug, five home runs. You OPS over 1,300, damn near 1,400. Yeah, bring him up to the show. I'm glad the Mets... Uh, finally promoted him because it was becoming a really bad look to not promote him at, at that stage. I mean, he was just on such a tear, and he's clearly the best third baseman on this roster, without a doubt in my mind. I've said it before, dating back to spring, and even dating back to you know the Carlos Correa saga, where I was like, well, if Beatty's not the third baseman, he's got to be the left fielder this season because he, he's ready to come up, and we've seen it. We've seen it. The defense has improved. It's not like Escobar is the greatest defender, although he did play a good third base so far this season. I will give him credit for that because the metrics are backing him up on it, and the eye test does as well. Still, Brett Beatty is the more athletic player, and he has proven that he can handle the position. And more importantly, he's going to give you so much more with the bat. I honestly think that we could be very shortly in a position where Brett Beatty is the guy that should be backing up Pete Alonso and should be batting fifth in the lineup. I I think we could get there quickly. Now, they're not going to start him there. He's probably going to bat seventh or something early on, let him prove it, and that's actually good. You know, let him be comfortable to bottom the order. Don't put too much pressure on him. Let him prove it at at this level. But I really think he's going to be giving you such good at-bats and going to be getting on base at a good enough clip. He's going to be driving the baseball in a way that someone like Daniel Vogelback hasn't been where... At some point this season, I think you're going to see one through five where it's going to be you know, the same four that they've been running out because that's their group. That's what they won with last year. That's what they're going with this year. So you're going to have you know, uh, you know, Nimmo, Marte, Lindor, Alonso. I think it's going to be Beatty. 
And they're going to continue to move McNeil up and down this lineup. He's kind of a utility player in that sense, too, because it's, you know, when you give Nimmo a day, McNeil slides one. When you give Marte a day, he slides two. As much as I would love to see Jeff McNeil batting up in this lineup, he's gotten off to a slow start. And I actually do start to understand kind of the function of a utility player in that way, too, where you want to keep a Nemo and Marte comfortable in the one and two spots. You want Lindor in his three hole, Alonzo four, and who knows, maybe Beatty becomes that five hitter. I really think he has that potential. Now, the question is going to be, what do you do to get him on this roster? And we'll kind of preview the series as we do this, because I think it's interesting to first wonder when he's going to play in this series. So assuming he is there for the first game and he you know, didn't play in Syracuse on Sunday, I imagine they flew him out to L.A. as quick as they could and try to get him his rest. Dustin May, nice matchup for him. I don't know. Uh, I, I wouldn't actually think that their minor league careers would have overlapped much. I mean, May has been a guy that's kind of bent up but then hurt for a little bit now. But Dustin May is a hard-throwing righty, and you think Brett Beatty is a guy you'd want to line up against that type of a matchup, certainly more than Eduardo Escobar or Louis Guillaume at third base. So I imagine... Assuming he's available, he'll be starting game one. And Dustin May has been great this year, by the way. Sub-2 ERA. So not going to be easy for this Mets team to scratch runs. Game two, Clayton Kershaw. You're going to start Beatty against Kershaw? That would be fascinating. If Brett Beatty's in the lineup every single day, which honestly, as much as I've talked about the fact that you could still platoon Escobar with Beatty at third base, I also believe that Beatty is the truth for this team, that Beatty is the future, and that Brett Beatty really shouldn't be shielded from anyone. See if he can hang. Um, I'd start him every day. I really would. But I also understand against a tough lefty, giving him a day. You know, if you're going up against, you know, your Patrick Corbins, let him feast on that too. But if it's Clayton Kershaw, maybe that is the day to say, all right, we'll throw the, the veteran out there and ask a bar. Maybe you don't want to completely put Escobar on ice. So so maybe that's the day where Beatty would get off. But then third game, Noah Syndergaard, I want him in for that matchup, uh, which will be fun too, of course, to see Syndergaard versus the Mets now in a Dodgers uniform. And he'll be going up against Max Scherzer. Tough matchup uh, for Noah there. Now, looking at the Mets pitchers, okay, you got Peterson going against May. So, Let's see if he can build off of a good start last time out against a really good Dodgers team. Then you got McGill. That's going to be a huge test. If Tyler McGill keeps you know this great start to his season up against that Dodgers team, how are you bumping him from the rotation? Again, I asked that question. And then, as I said, you got Scherzer. Now, what do the Mets do here? We'll find out tomorrow. So it's almost better to um, digest the move when it comes than try to forecast it too much. Simplest move. Jose Budo's option, Brett Beatty, brought up. That, that's as easy as it gets. But you're going to be pitching a man down in the bullpen. R- right now, the rotation, Scherzer, Sanga, Peterson, Carrasco, McGill. We know that. They extend it to six. Guys like Budos can make those spot starts. But for now, that's your five. Robertson, Adovino, Rayleigh, Drew Smith, John Curtis. Those five aren't going anywhere in the bullpen. Currently, it's Denny Reyes and Jimmy Yacobonis as the other two arms. Are you comfortable with just seven. I don't think they're going to be, especially when you play seven games this week. There's no off days. You got 
A Dodgers team that's going to be tough, that's going to really eat into your rotation, make those guys go long. Then a Giants team for four games, that lineup isn't bad for the Giants either. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think the Mets have to get to eight arms in that bullpen at some point this week. So then you got to make a tough decision. The easiest decision is Tim LaCastro gets DFA. Good chance he might pass through waivers anyway. We'll see. Um, and then you could just option him to, to Syracuse. If not, and you lose a pinch runner, you lose a pinch runner. It sucks, but you know it, it is what it is. The other options are a lot tougher to swallow. Are you going to DFA Water Escobar? It might be the best thing for this team, but I don't think that they're going to do that. And I mean strictly playing on the field. Escobar is too much of a leader on this roster to do that. I don't imagine that they go to that just yet. I think they give him more time. So with that said, you're keeping him. The only other option would be Pham or Vogelback. Tommy Pham started the season hot. You're not doing anything with him right now. Uh, I might have to buy a jersey for Tommy Pham the way he's hitting the baseball. And for those of you who don't know, that is, uh, you know what? If you know, you know. If you don't, you don't. We're gonna, we're already going a little long on this episode. So, anyway, Pham's safe for now. And it sucks, too, because Mark Fientos deserves to be promoted, too. That's going to be the next guy we're going to bang the drum for. But how do you get him up? This is where I think Daniel Vogelback is ultimately a roster casualty at some point because he's not driving the baseball with authority. He's drawing his walks, getting on base at time. That is all fine and well, but he can't field a position. He really can't run the bases, and he can't face left-handed pitching. That's too many things he can't do. Mark Vientos, at least he can be a guy that you stick at first base and even third base if you had to, um, and at least... You know, he can face righties and lefties, okay? So if Mark Vientos is eventually the you know primary DH on this team, he's going to be able to serve a lot more functions on this roster than Vogelback as just a more athletic player and a player that isn't so platoon-focused. Yes, Vientos is better facing lefties, and that would probably be his primary function, but he's hitting everyone in Syracuse right now. So... You know, if that's what he continues to do and he's driving the baseball and hitting a bunch of home runs, that's a much more impactful DH. Give me the guy that hits the solo homer, not the guy that has to walk and then you have to bring in the other guy off your bench and LeCastro to run the bases for him. You know, it's taking two roster spots. So especially if LeCastro goes, suddenly Vogelback's less valuable because if he walks in the seventh, Tommy Pham may steal second base, but not as guaranteed. Suddenly, Vogelback's value comes down. So I and I also think Vogelback has some trade value, not to get you a ton, but to get you close to what you gave up last year. Can you get a double A reliever for him? Possibly. So if you if you designate him or you just trade him, you know I, I think there's a chance someone put a claim and you can work out a deal or. Maybe Epler's on the phone trying to make that happen now because it would clear up a lot on this roster. As much as Vogelback has served a function, done his job well, at some point, if he's not hitting home runs, you're going to have to go to the kids that are. Now the baby's up and you got Escobar off the bench too. You just run out of roster spots. But uh, we got all week to discuss it. We'll see what the Mets ultimately do. I think they're going to kick the can. That's what I think they're going to do. I think they're going to option Budo, promote Beatty, maybe stay on the phones and see what they can come up with. 
because I think they like having the Castro. But I also could see them just biting that bullet now, knowing that ultimately they're just not going to be able to afford rostering LeCastro when you have to roster Fam, when you have to roster Escobar, when you have to uh, roster Guillaume and a backup catcher. That's your bench. That's your bench. So uh, we'll see what they decide to do. That's going to be all for today's edition of Locked on Mets. As always, thank you for making this your first listen. You everydayers, tomorrow on the show, we'll be breaking down the first game of this series. And we will also be looking at whatever the Mets decide to do to get Beatty on the roster. So make sure you check that out. Follow me on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. And follow the show at Locked on Mets.